All right. Hello, and welcome to Modest Conversations. Uh, I'm here with an old friend, Alyssa from HipCamp. We have to do a modest disclosure, which is that Slow Ventures, which I'm involved with, is an investor in HipCamp. But that said, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So what do you want to talk about? You know, I really want to talk about nature and uh, humans' relationship with our great environment today. That nature, I mean, we have floods in the south. Yep. You told me just that the, that the, what Northwest is completely on fire. Yeah, the whole West is on fire right now. San Francisco is about 300 degrees. Yep. Yeah, it seems like a timely topic. It's a crazy time. So, yeah, I don't know. Give me, I mean, you, Hip Camp, obviously, you guys care a lot about the environment. You're mm-hmm. getting people outdoors. Um, but tell me, like, I don't know, what, what are you thinking about environmentally these days? So I'm thinking a lot about where um, where we've gone wrong as a society and what we can do about it. I think um, the disconnection that people have from land and from nature um, is staggering right now. And I think a lot of the technology that we are so obsessed with and that's um, growing so fast and has so much potential um, to help us is also really hurting us. And so at HipCamp, we think a lot about, can we use the internet? Can we use technology to get people off technology yeah. and into nature? And so far, we're seeing that we can, um, but it's something that I'm is really top of mind for me right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you think about using the internet to get people off the internet and out into the real world. I mean, it's something that meetup.com used to talk about a lot, right, and still does, mm-hmm. right? Um, they've been doing it for a while. You, know, you saw Facebook even recently change their mission, right, to be a lot more around community I think there's a real even trend around that on I mean, getting people off the internet totally. or using the internet to organize people in the real world. Well, um, the science is undeniable. Like people who are spending a lot of time on the internet are not happy people. Yeah. Uh, we need real human connection. We need to have meaning and purpose. And it's just hard to find that online. We no need question. to get off, off the, off the internet sometimes. No, I think a lot of the time yeah. it's, it's been interesting to watch. I mean, it's, there's a narrative, I won't say whether I fully believe it or not, that you know you go through what has been, if you think about the world of cigarettes, right, um, which for a while was very socially accepted and it turns out it was really bad for you, and like soda, right? Yep. And the question is, is the internet next, right? Mm. In terms of things that, you know, everyone adopts, there's a lot of great benefits too, but actually, you know, the social habit of watching your notification stream all day long is driving right. a lot of people pretty insane. right. Um, it's funny. So I spend my most of my waking hours and some of my sleeping ones thinking about you know nature, which I really view as the antidote to um, not just technology but also urbanization and kind of yeah. this overstimulation that we live through. Yet I would so disagree with that narrative because really? I absolutely I think the internet is the most powerful tool humans have ever created, and I think we're still on day one of learning how to really leverage it and harness it to create a better world for not only humans, but all the plants and animals and ecosystems out there. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously these things are never black and white, mm-hmm. right? And, and, but it is an interesting, it's an interesting, you watch kind of the, the, the sine wave of opinion on some of these things Absolutely. where, you know, these going to go these hype cycles of this is the greatest thing ever, mm-hmm. or we're all plugging ourselves into the matrix. And that's the solution to technological unemployment is us living in our own utopias to kind of oh my God, this is maybe not where we want to go. Let's figure out how to get off this to some degree. Yeah, what do we want to change? And I think think of it as like Prometheus has been given fire. (laughs) And what do we do now? And, you know, I actually created a major about the internet at college. So I was studying film and then I just became so... Um, taken by this this idea that there was this entirely new 
Um, like I look at the internet as actually the greatest leap in, in innovation and technology uh, since language, yeah. maybe even as big as language itself. And so recognizing that I was immediately both excited and concerned because I really believe technology is neutral. Yeah. And the impact it's going to have depends completely on who learns how to use it. Hmm. And so I suddenly had this very uh, deep desire to learn how to use the internet uh, for good. And that's uh, what HipCamp is doing because we're using the internet not just to connect people with nature, but also to drive revenue to people who are taking good care of nature and support them in um, in doing so. Yeah. I mean, again, it's the, the idea that we have this powerful new like set of superpowers, right? I always think about the internet as like, if one day, it's basically the equivalent if you're a person of like, waking up and learning that like you're Superman and you have this like crazy new ability to talk to anyone on earth instantly for mm-hmm. free or remember everything. It's like, if you literally gave it to someone a hundred years ago, they would write comic books out of it. Right? right. It's literally a superpower. Um, and then you can do this narrative of, you know, okay, is it super villain, super superhero? Like what are the narratives around it? What are the good sides? It's, it's clearly a double edged sword. Right. And we love to, you know, look at things in that dualistic nature. It must be good or bad. And the answer is like, it depends on who's learning how to use it and yeah. what they're doing with it. I got to spend a day last year with Yoshifimi Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. He's the world's leading researcher on the health benefits of nature. And um, I got to look at a lot of his new research that's coming out and something he's um, really kind of proven out now is that the alerts and the beeps and all this that you've mentioned combined with so many of us living in cities, right? Like we now have more than half the world's population living in cities. Urbanization, I think, is Which needed. is good for nature. It's actually really good for nature. Yeah, I'm glad you know that. A lot of people think it's terrible. It's actually um, one of the biggest things that gives me a lot of hope about right. our environmental future, which on a week like this week with half the world burning and, and half the U.S. underwater, it's hard to imagine hope. But technology is actually one of the biggest things that gives me hope about the environmental future. Um, but what he's shown is that urbanization and technology has basically ra- raised our base state. Before we had electricity and computers, yep. we had these abilities to especially, you know, imagine if you're going camping, you have a campfire, you have friends. Think about that deep, relaxed state you get into. That used to be every night for humans. Yeah, That's how we evolved. And that's how we've spent 99.9% of our time. That's what our bodies and our brains, our entire bio psyche is used to this. And now, you know, we're here at 7.30 p.m. And there's lights and there's cars and there's sirens. And he's studying how can we lower that base state back down to where we reach those deep relaxation moments. Because those are actually the, the end of that wave is where we have healing and our body is able to do things like fight off cancer. Yeah and uh, fight off depression and, and rebalance our serotonin. So I mean, it makes total sense to me. I mean, it's even funny. I have a seven-month-old, and it's been interesting to watch because, you know, he's not obviously not looking at screens. We're pretty religious about that. Um, but the from the day we left the hospital, the only thing, if he's upset that you do, that he will instantly calm down is you just take him outside. Wow. Right? And he, like, he'll just watch the trees. Um, you know, we go for a hike. Even yesterday we were in New Jersey, and, like, you know, he was really fussy. And just took him on a walk and there's a nature preserve behind our house. And it's, it's, it's awesome to watch humans and mm-hmm. kind of the base state. And it's just, it's so visceral. You mm-hmm. just watch him. It doesn't matter the scenario. He'll calm down. You, you feel his blood pressure drop. Totally. Um, well, and that's what Miyazaki's proven. So he's actually the creator of the term forest bathing, which is a Japanese concept of going into the woods and really different from Americans. who I think often look at nature as a place to exercise, yeah. um, go on a hike, climb a mountain. Um, the Japanese take a different approach. They tend to bring tea 
And um, it's about engaging all five senses and really bathing yeah. in the sights and the sounds of the forest. And what he's shown is that this not only you know lowers your blood pressure, like you know you've already noticed with your son, um, but it actually uh, increases your body's ability to fight off cortisol spikes that might happen. And he sees a sustained level of uh, resiliency to stress, as well as higher white blood cell counts, hmm. which can fight off viruses and cancers for months. Yeah. After going outside. So the effects are not only while you're there, but they sustain for months after. That's awesome. One thing you, you probably will have, and I'm sure you'd know something about it, which I heard recently I was shocked by, but I thought was so awesome, was I was under the impression that, um, you talk about people being engaged with nature, that national national park visitation has been had been declining for a long time. But I heard recently that it's actually dramatically rebounded in the last few years. You know, you know, I mean, you must know the story on this. I've been I've been living the story on this. Um, <laughs> to some extent, I would call it the Instagram effect. Interesting. So people are going out into nature to find Instagram photos. Totally. I mean, I think that, you know, and this is that bigger is most, double. That is the most positive use of Instagram <laughs> I've heard in a long time. Absolutely. You know, there. to your point about the double-edged sword, I think Instagram really can embody this. And I, there's a friend of mine who created a company called Polar Stuff. Great outdoor Love gear. Love it. I have a lot of it. Oh, I actually, cool. I actually wore a Polar Stuff, um, the hoodie... Knapsack. It's also a, it's also a sleeping, sleeping bag. bag you can I walk wore around it. In. I wore it to a fancy Hollywood party once. Um, You're in, my hero. At uh, at sun at sorry at Sundance. I'm very proud of myself. Excellent. I pictured me on the red carpet. In Does he know the that? Bag. Probably not. That. But <laughs> so Benji is the founder of that company. A great guy. Really more of a philosopher than anything who happens to have started an apparel company, which um, I think comes across in what he chooses to build. And um, he has a great talk called um, "Frozen or Teleportation." It's about the choice we make with social media, where mm -hmm. we can either get so engrossed in it that the word frozen for him comes from a kindergarten uh, student who thought was talking to another kindergarten student. He was listening and they were talking about how their parents become frozen on <laughs> their phones. And they were actually quoting the Disney film where these people get frozen. And the kids literally thought the phone was freezing their parents because they would talk to them and they wouldn't respond or even lift their eyes up. And so he said, you can either go that path. You can become frozen by your, by your phone, or you can use it to teleport you mm -hmm. to these new locations and restaurants and mountains that you never had heard of and you wouldn't have heard of without uh, social media. So I think we're seeing a huge spike in, in interest in the outdoors in general, mostly because these visual mediums are really starting to dominate um, our, our waves again. And I think it's exciting. That is exciting. I had never really thought about that. I've always I've found Instagram and Instagram is an interesting example because on one hand, you know, Instagram isn't reality. It's hyper reality. It's, you know, some other stylized version of reality totally. and the whole filter movement, et cetera. But then on the flip side, it's like, it's interesting to think about the fact that people are going out to seek those base images, right? Um, yeah. Well, they know. see their friends there, and they think it could throw a lot of things into perspective for people if they're um, looking at someone they know being somewhere beautiful in nature. It's really natural to have, you know, you know, I want that too. And yeah. it's funny because right when we started Hip Camp, I remember I was feeling that this interest in the outdoors was, you know, having a comeback. And so I went and I looked on the Google Trends graph for camping. This is going to be my in my slide deck for my first investor pitch. And I was like, I bet camping spiking. And I was actually declining. It had been declining steadily for 10 years. And I was like, Oh, put that away. <laughs> I'm not telling you about that. And I just looked at it again last year. And actually the year we started was an inflection point. And I'm not saying it was, you know, all of all us, of course it wasn't, but since 2013 interest in things like camping, nature parks have been growing quickly. 
Um, a lot of it's driven by these, you know, millennials, these fabled millennials. Oh, the millennials. Um, self-identified, so can't uh, speak too poorly there. But I think that there's a huge interest here that's being driven by just the prevalence of photos and visual imagery in our life. And there's a, a great theory by a scientist named E.O. Wilson called biophilia, mm-hmm. which is just humans' innate love for nature. You get people in front of nature, they will love it. It's yep. just built into our, our biome. We can't deny it. And I think to some extent, social media taps into that and makes people more excited to get out there. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think social media at, at the beginning, you talk about tapping into deep human things. It was, it was really simple, which is humans are really addicted to other humans' faces, mm-hmm. right? Like it is completely biological, <laughs> right? That you want to look at other people all the time, right? right? Good thing, because um, otherwise you probably would have killed all each other off back then. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> right? Um, but now I think it is interesting to watch I, 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 that that pushing people out. Are there other effects that are important? Because like one thing that I think is kind of interesting is, are people also just getting bored of cityscapes? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's the thing that I, I'm fascinated by. And I'm not that old, but I'm old enough that like you kind of watch this homogenization of so many cities. Like it, 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 we've kind of gone from a point where like, okay, like every city obviously has this unique places and scenes and things like that. But really like things have become quite homogenous, especially with your phone. And there's an interesting angle that I would actually argue. You talk about teleportation that Google maps has made it so easy to get around all these cities that all yeah. these protected enclave, enclaves in different cities are now, they're all the same. So for instance, I usually talk about how this was the lower Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It used to be that upper Manhattan, grid, right? Really easy for tourists. Tourists stay in upper Manhattan. Lower Manhattan, not a grid, a mess. Really hard to navigate without Google Maps if you don't know where you're going. And so you have this like different culture downtown. Totally. But now it's like, it's all the same stuff. And so mm-hmm. I, I wonder to what degree there's also like, do you think there's a, like an emotional flight I think cities, I mean, I take a very biological approach to cities where I look at cities as living organisms and they're all of the same species. They're Mm -hmm. different, you know, DNA and culture. And of course, different cities feel very different. But at the end of the day, I think a big city functions very similar to any other big city. And I do think for, um, especially people who have spent time in cities that, you know, cities are cities. Whereas if you get out into nature, um, especially on hip camp, I think one of the really exciting things we're unlocking right now is access to, I would argue, the most unique experiences out there. I mean, I was just talking to a landowner today who is the steward of a uh, multi-millennia-old pygmy redwood forest. <laughs> and if you go visit her, that's what you learn about. Or someone who's running a you know, horse sanctuary, or you can go learn about how to rescue horses and horse therapy, or how to collect and harvest native seeds. And I do think we're seeing with um, social media, some of it good, some of it bad, people really being driven to see, to go experience what's new, what's different, what's unique. Yeah. What can I go experience to bring back to my community that they've never seen before? And I, I think it's a beautiful drive. I think it you know, totally. has a mixed impact overall. But Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. And I think it's also the, the, the fact that you guys open up private land experiences that just were impossible before. Mm-hmm. Right? You could just never network your way into these. Right. Reserved for only the ultra wealthy, right? Who used to be able to have, you know, a thousand acres to themselves? Like, yeah. Billionaires. Yeah. And, and, but even, even that, you maybe have access to a few pieces of land, mm-hmm. not kind of like where you want to go on demand, you right. know, figuring it out. I think it's fascinating. I think the national park system have actually been in like three national parks in the last month and they're like, nice. 
I mean, it's probably one of America's greatest assets. Definitely. Um, Absolutely. It's very, a lot of foresight on that. But it is also interesting to think about how you can kind of now create a whole other set of experiences that were totally impossible before mm-hmm. um, on well, top of that. I think for national parks in particular, they provide so much value and are such a pride of our country. A lot of our hip camps um, that do really well are right around national parks. Sure, because so people want to go there. Yeah. Going to the national park. Um, but I think the ones that do the best are places that are destinations unto themselves. And one thing I'm fascinated by right now is just the diversity that's inherent in this kind of marketplace. So if you look at national parks, um, kind of like cities in a way, in that they're They're actually all very similar in terms of how they're managed, right? They're actually all managed by the same agency. There's one person at the top of that agency. And um, rules are really relatively uniform. You know, you certainly can't grow food or, you know, harvest uh, acorn, right? Like you're not allowed. Whereas if you go on all these different hip camp experiences, I think you can really see a huge diversity of what are the different ways people can live on land and work with land while still preserving that land for nature. And that is such a key to me because I, I love parks. And I think we need to be honest with ourselves that humans need to eat and we need resources. And so we do need to develop a model of working with land that isn't just destructive. Right now, we're so black and white about it. We're like, this land you can't touch. If you you pick up a stick and you walk out of this land with this stick, you're going to get in trouble. This land over here, we're going to destroy. We're going to blow the top off the mountain. We're going to clear cut all the trees. And we... We did, it's just too dualistic. There's, there's so much in the middle between those two spaces where people are able to really, you know, support their local community with food and um, create really important products that we all need that I think we need to explore a bit more um, when we look to a future with, you know, 10, 12 billion people on this planet. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what else is like, I don't know, what's keeping you up at night? The fires right now are really hitting home. I um, I'm an early riser, so I can uh, I watch the sunrise most mornings. And um, watching the sun, the color of the sun right now is really hard. It's so red, and um, the air quality is just so bad. And we're so far from any of the big fires. Uh, my friends in Seattle, some of them are getting evacuated right now. There's ash falling from the sky in downtown Seattle. Um, I've got a lot of friends getting evacuated. Up Why in the is this a big fire year? Is, has it been particularly dry or has it not been natural fires in a while? Um, it's a big question. We could do a whole podcast on it. Uh, I think that the, the couple of things I would point to is that the planet is getting hotter yeah. and we're having record heat waves um, across the world, not just the U.S., by the way. Europe was just floored um, yeah. by heat waves this summer. Um, and I would say that our current land management techniques around suppressing fire, which has been kind of the dominant paradigm for the last century or so, have um, officially kicked us in the butt. Um, and things that maybe should have been burned, that especially a lot of the Native Americans were regularly burning, have now been um, not allowed to burn for a long time. So when these fires do catch... They're big. They're big, and they're big to a point that a healthy forest... Um, may or may not survive them, which has not traditionally been the case, ecologically speaking. Fires roll through, big trees survive, little ones get taken out, no big deal. Because we've left so much brush on the ground now, and we've stopped fires from rolling through. Um, Some of these fires are so big, they're taking out the big trees, which we just don't even know what that means. So, Um, I mean, if you you were that person whose name we don't know, who manages 
national forest who i assume has some role to play yeah. in forestry sure. forest management like what would you do like what is the better strategy I would burn a lot more i would burn a lot more and i was actually just hanging out with the head of fire at yosemite and she's amazing she's a total pyromaniac fun little known fact and she's burning a lot more and at yosemite will be a healthier ecosystem for it so i think we just have to move away from this thought that fire is bad and recognize that it's an important part of the ecosystem. Then you've got the south of the country where we have the largest storm since 1980 barreling right now. I think it'll hit Puerto Rico tonight or tomorrow morning. Um, my little sister's in Florida right now, and it's barreling towards her. And it's, you know, Texas is still underwater in a lot of places in Houston. So I think it's just kind of a crazy time and hopefully a time when a lot of people who maybe have not wanted to think about climate and the impact it could have on, on their lives um, are recognizing that this is happening now. We are the people, if we're alive today, if you're alive in 2017, congratulations, you're alive at one of the most important times in human history. And um, this is now, this is happening today. So I think um, hopefully a lot of people are waking up to that. Um, I think a lot about how hard it is for humans who often can't even imagine five years in the future to grapple with problems that exist on the scale of centuries and millennia. Yeah. Well, capitalism is not designed for this. I think capitalism is great in a lot of ways, and I think it's missing. I just was talking to Bryce about this earlier, one of our investors. I think capitalism is missing time. I think yeah. we need to figure out how to build the element of time into capitalism, this and then we'll be fine. But this is a well-known problem. I mean, the fact is, like, capitalism is almost intentionally designed for only a few-year time horizon, yeah. right? And the question of how you build in time, I mean, is not... It's, it's a pretty hard problem to process. I've been thinking about it a lot, though, because... The way we're we're currently um, managing our natural resource. So if you buy a big ranch and you decide you want to cut down all the trees, you're allowed to do that. Yeah. And there is no cost to you in doing that, which is insane because those trees have been growing for centuries. Well, it and depends centuries. where your ranch is. Depends where your ranch <laughs> is, but mo for most places, you know, cutting permits are you know no big deal. And it's not to say all timber ba is bad. You know, sustainable timber is actually again part of a you know managing a good forest. Um, but I'm thinking a lot about that and especially... Also makes for great backcountry skiing. Yeah, little, makes for little, good backcountry skiing. Wood is a great thing to build with. It can last for hundreds of years, so it's actually a great material. Um, but I'm thinking a lot right now about um, a lesser marketed problem our planet's experiencing, which is the sixth rate extinction. So we're currently losing plants and animals at an extinction rate that's about 10,000 times higher than normal. Is that true? I've heard different stories about that. I like, would love to hear the counter-narratives. I've been reading so about it. So the counter-narrative I've heard is that it's actually just, and again, who knows? Mm -hmm. um, I would love someone to actually sort this out. But is that a lot of the measurement, it's a measurement problem, and that we've sure. actually been losing species at this rate for a very long time. We just weren't actually cataloging or looking that closely. Yeah. And so that there is some question about whether, this goes back to a lot of my issues with, you know, a lot of how the media talks about global warming. We have, like, I think, pretty undeniable, pretty hard to, to refute that there's global warming and that humans are the cause of it. I mean, at this point, I don't think anyone is really saying... If you don't believe that, that wake up. Well, you're probably not <laughs> listening to this podcast. Probably not listening to this podcast, that's true. <laughs> um, so I don't think we're going to convince anyone on this podcast, but... But then the question is, is like, on what time scale, mm -hmm. what do you do about it? Like, all these things, like, no one has clean-cut answers. Totally. Well, um, but to and no one even agrees on things like the extinction rate, et cetera, is my understanding. Well, the um, extinction rate in particular is a fascinating problem because it's so underfunded yeah. that there absolutely is terrible, terrible data here. Um, what I can say is that we had a marine die-off here on the West Coast in the last year that was making scientists cry who had been studying 
species for a very long yeah, time. The Great Barrier Reef is dead. The Great Barrier Reef is dying. Um, we've lost, I believe, it's 80% of the frogs in Central America. Mm-hmm. So there's absolutely a lot of plants and animals that are dying. And what's really interesting, um, E.O. Wilson, who I mentioned earlier, actually speaks to this. He believes, and I agree, and a lot of people much smarter than me agree, that climate and what we're seeing with climate is actually the lagging indicator of the exact same problematic set of behaviors of which this extinction rate we're seeing is the leading indicator. Mm -hmm. So if we focus on instead the loss of biodiversity and we stop the behaviors that are triggering that, we can not only get ahead of the problem instead of behind it, but I think we can also localize the problem in a way where people don't have to grapple with, you know, ice glaciers melting maybe in a hundred years. And instead they can grapple with a local, you know, plant or animal they don't want to see go extinct. And and what can we do about it? So I think it can give people a way to, you know, make a big difference. Make it feel more real. Yeah. They can, they can get, they can get involved. They can contribute. But is that, I mean, it just, we'll go back to like the internet, social media, Mm -hmm. you know, frozen parents. It's like, you know, I understand how the Chinese model of government can deal with problems at the scale. Yeah. I understand how if we end up in a worldwide, you know, yeah. Star Trek because the aliens showed up, we decide we're one humanity, how you can deal with it. But I think one of the things that's so intractable about these global problems is not only the capitalism can't deal with them. It's like, I don't think nations can deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I was in Morocco earlier this year and I'll never forget this. This guy said, you know, that's the problem with you Americans. You have too much freedom. Yeah. <laughs> and it made me think, but, you know, again, back to really localizing the problem. Um, I actually don't think the solutions here will be top down for the most part, aside from obvious things like let's not subsidize the things that are the largest causes of the problem, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but aside from that, I think the actual um, solution creation, it has to be local. It has to be bottoms up. It has to be ground source. And I think the best thing that big nation states can do is see what's working, make sure they're not getting in the way or subsidizing the old model that this new model is threatening, um, and, and basically just clear the way for people to come up with good solutions. But is that, like, is that enough? I mean, like, the thing, again, this goes back to the whole, you know, again, different narratives of people mm-hmm. who broadly agree but have different purchases, like, does recycling as an individual consumer matter at all? Right. Right. And Great question. There are people who say, no, it does not. Like very liberal people who but are just like, it's like, it's like, you know, you're very proud of your composting. Your composting doesn't matter, right? That is not what the problem is. That's not going to move the needle. Right. You know, I mean, how much, I mean, when you think about the environment, the future of it, you know, how it impacts everything we do, including just, you know, you talk about how human happiness and like calm and curing cancer right. comes from the woods. It's like, what, um, I mean, how do you, how do you get excited about local action in that context? You know, for me, I feel very fortunate in this regard because I get to spend uh, my days for the most part either working on behalf of or surrounded by people who own land, have made the conscious decision to protect the habitat that that land represents for plants and animals, and um, are making the conscious decision to host members of our community on their land to share that message Mm -hmm. and to share the vision they have for the future. So I'm surrounded by people who are taking local action. And I think with HipCamp, what we've built is an internet model that, you know, basically just empowers those people to do what they already want to do. And the scale we're seeing, the growth we're seeing suggests to me that this local model can work with the help of the internet, right? It's not... 
it's not one or the other. It's both um, in a way that I, I think a lot of people already know what to do. I don't actually think this problem's like that complicated. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? I think we need more habitat preserved. We need to stop dumping chemicals into the water. We need to stop burning fossil fuels. Like we can do this. Yeah. We're humans. Like we Although, adapt. Again, we just, will... to, just to push you, because I, again, like I, I'm with you, but I just, it's a thing I think a lot about. It's like, you're preaching to the choir, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the people who are, you know, using hip camp, hip camp going great. It seems like it's in, you know, but like it's, you're kind of selecting for the people who are already invest in this. I feel like the people who are dumping chemicals are not, you know, yeah. general hip camp users or customers. It's people, you know, if, if anything, those, those people might actually be unknowingly doing that because of the products they buy that are built overseas yeah. in ways they're not even aware of. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, that's where know. we get into federal regulation and where it can really make a difference because, those are, you know, the fact that if you want to buy organic food, that's a luxury afforded to the rich. That's absurd. Yeah. That's, if there's anything government should do, it should be make it easier for people to make good choices that are going to, in the benefit, in the long-term benefit the country, right? So that, that gets into regulation. Um, I do think we're seeing some, you know, good progress over, overall. Um, what I will say about our community is that we have, um, we are a choir, sure, in that everyone's excited about land. But in terms of political spectrum and socioeconomic spectrum, I would challenge you to find a more diverse marketplace or community out there. So the fascinating thing about what HipCamp's doing is we are building community across this urban-rural divide. Most of our campers, for the most part, are young, urban, affluent. Most of our landowners are rural, often quite conservative um, often quite, you know, outside of what we would consider this bubble here. And yet this amazing thing happens when they meet because they care about nature. They share these values. I've got amazing stories from hosts saying, wow, my dad is starting to really become open-minded about these young city people, these gay people, these kind of crazy people who wear these crazy colorful clothes because he sees the content of their character and he sees how much they care about the land. Yeah. And so I think, um, the, the environment is not a red or blue issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I, and so I think that that gives me a lot of hope because it's not the, the, the people who are currently making choices today that I think are really hurting the environment in many cases are, are doing it because they're not in a socioeconomic position to do otherwise. Yes. And that is a very solvable problem with good policy. Yes. We can do that with good leadership. Yes. Um, so that, that gives me off. Well, but that's, bleed, yes. Although it does bleed into a lot of other, I mean, if it's, if it's a socioeconomic problem, which I believe mm -hmm. like, people would choose to save the environment if they could afford sure. to. Everyone um, cares about their children's future. That, that's the thing I've always said about camping and, and nature in general. It's the least controversial thing in the world. Yeah. Everybody wants to leave a better world for their children. There's no one who doesn't feel that way. Yeah. Fair. I feel that personally. <laughs> and my son loves being in the woods. Right. Um, very cool. Very cool. Well, do you have any closing thoughts you want to share? This has been a great modest conversation. Thank you. I'm happy I really we got to do this. It. You know, it's a great yeah, it's topic. Fun. It's really fun. Um, you know, closing thoughts would be um, just for everyone to get out into nature. Uh, I feel like I'm beating the drum here a bit, but um, you know, something that we've we've heard. So I, I really early on, especially, did all these interviews, and I said, "How often do you go camping?" And the answer I got the most frequently was not as often as I'd like to. Yeah. And uh, we've, you know, I think built a, a service that makes it really easy. You don't have a tent. You don't have a sleeping bag. That's no problem. We've still got places you can go. Um, we've got places that are much closer to the city than you're probably used to. So I think just getting out there and taking that first step, um, 
meeting landowners if you want, or just having a totally peaceful retreat in the woods is fine too. But just getting into nature from what we've seen, um, triggers a whole series of events that can be really positive specifically on these topics of how are you going to make a difference right now? Um, what choices in your life are you going to make? And I think if people get into nature, they start making better choices in general. So we just encourage everyone to get out there. Well, I'll say again, with a modest disclosure in mind that I'm a huge fan, obviously. And as someone who grew up, you know, with my dad walking in the woods constantly, um, and uh, and then did a lot of camping and backpacking in, when I was in high school and and a little bit in college, and have done basically zero since then. You mm. got me back out by making Yay. it easy enough. It's hard. Book. It's hard to book otherwise. It is hard, you know. Um, and I think especially as we sit here with our inbox and that number ticking up and yeah. our notifications, it almost feels like you can't get away. And what I can communicate, and I'm sure you can echo this, is taking that time off. Yeah. Getting disconnected from the internet for a day. Well, you're a great two days, three days. You're gonna come back and you're gonna be so much smarter, so much more effective. <laughs> it's like it didn't even happen. Well, I have to give you great props as a saleswoman for getting me to shill on modest conversations for you. But it's been great having you on. Thank you so um, much. Thanks for having me. And um, and yeah, let's talk more about the environment again sometimes. Totally. All right. Thanks. Thanks